Welcome. I'm J. Michael Silver, and this is Foundational Steps, the show. I talk with people about the choices they make in the past to get where they are in life. In this episode, I'm talking with Kevin Valias, founder of React by Design. Kevin spent the last decade as a pain management specialist. His expertise is in mental health, physical health, and healing from trauma. We talk about his past trauma, healing from trauma, and so much more. Links to Kevin and timestamps for everything that we talked about are in the show notes. Please support the show by leaving a comment or a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts and check out our affiliate links. You might find something valuable. Enjoy our conversation. All right, Kevin, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Uh, this is awesome. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I, when I talked to, uh, Katie, one of the thoughts that I had in the back of my head, which I can't remember if I talked to her about at some point in time, I'm going to have you both on together as a couple. And, uh, I'm thinking of doing, I don't know if it'll be a separate couple series, but, um, I have a, a handful of people that I just think would be interesting to talk to them as couples and, and, you know, talk about their, uh, coping mechanisms and, and processes and, and relationships and business and everything else, because it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that's amazing because, you know, it, it life is so dynamic and how uh, people are able to dovetail, as I like to say, you know, their yeah, yeah. independent gestures to life it really uh, brings context into it. So absolutely. And there's so many, you know, a lot of people are married just because they love each other and they're trying to make it work. But then there's a lot of people um, that are also business partners and um, really partners in life in a whole nother dimension, which is what I find interesting, which you and Katie definitely kind of qualify in that category. So um, yeah. So anyhow, um, let's just jump in to this for now and worry about all that later. Um, I'm curious, the, the kind of the question gets rephrased every time I ask it, I feel like, but in, in what way or at what point in time in your life did you feel like really aware or conscious in your body that you were doing this thing called life? And no right or wrong answer. It can be when you were three years old or it can be when you were 30 years old. Um, and, and then we can kind of play from there and find out what we find out. Let's see, first time I really felt conscious in my body and my life. And that choice has actually had uh, impact. Right. Right. You know, I have, you know, you raised the question. I automatically have these uh, perceptions of like the first time I rode my bicycle, feeling the wind in my face, right? right. All these very like novelty moments and instances in time in my life. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to hop right into it, I think that the moment in my life with the most gravity uh, was 2007, July 4th, when I was uh, hit by a drunk driver while I was longboarding. Um, Wait, oh, long skateboarding, longboarding. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it was one of these moments where you, you don't understand or comprehend what's happening until the moment has passed and you are, you know, rising yourself back up. Mm -hmm. And um, 
so everything was a flash to me. And it was when I was tapped on the shoulder and I could hear sirens in the background after kind of falling back into my body mm-hmm. that I took this deep breath and I pushed myself up the ground, off the ground so hard that even the cops were like, no, 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 no. Take a seat, take a seat, blah, 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 trying to put me down. And I just had this sudden realization that I had gone somewhere else for an instance mm-hmm. and fallen back in. And I guess it was in the moment, it was, you don't realize how much life you have until it's gone. And then mm-hmm. life comes back into your body. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a very subtle moment um, where I was able to kind of have this profound sense of understanding that something exists in my body that is operating from a deeper place, you know? Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. So a couple things about the accident, uh, and then I want to dive into that a little bit deeper. Um, how fast was the car going? Yeah, uh, it was a, it's a long two and a half mile road, 25 mile an hour zone. And the car was going about 50. Yeah. And I was really lucky. I was really lucky because it wasn't an SUV. It was a really low Acura sports car. So it flipped you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I took the impact to the right side of my body and, uh, it was my head and shoulder that took the impact of the windshield. So that was kind of like, I think what got me to leave my body for a moment. Um, did you see it coming? No, no, I didn't, you know, cause it's one of those moments where, and if you're a skateboarder, you understand, right. You're looking it's been a, down been a long time. Yeah. But you look down to kind of throw some kicks back mm-hmm. and it was like, I looked down the road and I saw lights coming. And in that moment, when I looked down, not thinking that the car was going faster than it's supposed to be, I looked up and the lights were right in front of me, you know, and Hmm. yeah, it caught me off guard for sure. So you flipped up into the windshield and then over the car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the geometry of that definitely is working in your favor, having a low car and a a lower, you know, a a deeper um, angle on the windshield so that you're glancing off of it. But I mean, 50 miles per hour, that's still so much force. I mean, I, I often think back to myself and I think if I was 10 years older, there's no way I'd be able to repair from that. You know, I was only 16 years old when that happened. Mm-hmm. still kind of like rubbery in a way yeah yeah so um yeah and, and then the crazy part is <clears throat> not to call anyone out if you're watching this <laughs> i apologize but two <laughs> friends of mine that were there with me uh that watched the whole thing happen and apparently the driver got out and decided to kick me while i was on the ground because he was so upset and then he had his friend in the passenger side pull him back to the car and then it was a hit and run so um yeah, I got, I got some justice for that, you know, like a week and a half later or something, they, uh, they found the car with my hair and in, in, in the backwoods of Greenwich and, you know, lo and behold, they found whose it was, but the, oh, that's so God, there's a lot there. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. um, 
the guy is drunk, hits you so disturbed and distraught over the over the fact that he has done this, uh, and you know obviously isn't able to take responsibility for his actions, blames you for being in the way and kicks you while you're on the ground after you've been hit. And he had someone in the car with him that pulled him off you. And then you had friends with you that saw the whole thing. God damn, that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, and when when you look back on that or, you know, I know you're into meditation and, and, um, and, you know, more, um, are you able to experience or re-experience the, the events now without trauma? Yeah. Um, in short, I went through a lot of physical PT, PT therapy, mm-hmm. didn't seem to do it much. Seemed like as I grew a little older, a lot of those moments were filed way back in the, in the archives. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, actually it wasn't through, it wasn't until I started going to massage therapy school that I started to, uh, go through, uh, a learning process, um, that, is a specific therapy that coincides with the connection of the occiput where the spine enters the brain. Like the cranial sacral? Cranial sacral, right. Uh, that I started to have those archive files start to just come yep. back to the forefront, right? And so um, I, I didn't really have a choice. Uh, I kind of had to accept what was happening. And uh, my wife and I constantly recall the moment I received cranial sacral for the first or second time we were on our way from school mm-hmm. and I literally turned to her and I didn't recognize who she was. I didn't realize I was in a car. I tried to jump out while we were on the highway, uh, literally having a reliving of the impact of the car over and over. Like it was instilled in my nervous system. Yeah. Right. And until my brain was able to unlock and process that information. Um, I wasn't able to relive that. So, mm-hmm. you know, following the accident, it was just a lot of pain, a lot of having to surrender to something just happened and trying to reflect on what I'm missing out on, right? Which was like the heaviest depression I could have gone through at that age. You're, you're really in like hype mode uh, mm-hmm. when you're 16. And so when I started going through all that with cranial sacral, um, I really started to be able to invoke that sort of uh, rehabilitation through my, you know, neurogenesis practice. And um, yeah, I could say now, you know, 15 years later, um, I could, I can relive that, that experience without having uh, a trigger effect, you know, but it took many, many episodes of having to relive that we call that a somatic or emotional release, right? An SER. And, um, you know, these things, they just live, they live on forever. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't say I'm completely done with it, but like, I do have moments where if I'm watching something on the news or something 
just absolutely horrific where, you know, you see a motorcyclist get pulled out from underneath an SUV or a semi truck. I, I do, my nervous system does kind of start to act up a little bit, but you know, a lot of the you breathing tech. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the breathing technique and, you know, tools that I've been able to uh, encompass in my life has really helped me kind of just take the edge off the silver lining, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. Um, wow. Have you done any other work around, um, you know, obviously massage cranial sacral somatic release, they're all incredibly powerful ways of working through, you know, pain, memory, and trauma that's locked in the body and, and kind of energetically imprinted on you. Mm -hmm. Um, has there been any other modalities that have helped, uh, work through that? Um, if we're talking energetically, I haven't really responded to anything other than cranial sacral. Hmm. Um, you know, because the only other aspect would be the physical side where, you know, I've done tons of structural integration, um, a lot of self myofascial therapy you know, mm -hmm. for anything regarding those deeper underlying issues, because I have spent a very long time also developing my physique and body and learning the threshold and the potentials and pushing the envelope little by little, right. As I were you along. big into that prior to the accident or did it come out of the accident? It came out of the accident, you know, I mean, so 16 Brazilian played a lot of soccer, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, after the accident, you know, it was pretty much like three months, three months where I didn't get to do very much. Mm -hmm. um, and then over the years, you know, because of my ankle being the, the weak point, right, that carries most of my stability, uh, I would roll it or something would happen where I'd have to jump off my longboard and stomp it hard and re-injure it, you know. So, uh, it's, it's been a long, a long process, but a lot of, a lot of the love for what I have, for what I do definitely has stemmed from the accident for sure. That's interesting. Have you been able to process and integrate, you know, the, the value you've gotten out of the accident? Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to forgive. Let's start yeah. there, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, that, yeah, that really would be the first place to go is because the, there's in order to receive or accept the, the value you've gotten, you would have to, um, you know, forgive, even if you've never met that person. Um, did you ever meet the person like outside of, no, so you never no. had to confront them or, or any kind of court case or anything like that? No, I mean, I, I remembered the name for several years after, but, um, you know, at some point it just becomes too much to hold on to. And, you know, you realize at the end of the day, we're all human and we all make accidents and I'm just grateful for the life that I do have and all the inspiration and the transformation thereof. Right. So, um, kind of refined down to the very nitty gritty jewels of that experience. Uh, I don't hold anything towards him now. Um, but I do, I do try endorsing, Hey, don't drink and drive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, alcohol is one of the most dangerous drugs out there. Um, it's one of the most valued for some reason in Western society. 
um, Eastern society somewhat as well, but man, you know, the Western world loves their alcohol, reveres it. And, um, yeah, which is a whole nother rabbit hole of, yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Um, so, okay, let's, let's get into the kind of that conscious moment of, of being in your body. You, you come back into it. Um, how much, how much, uh, of, responsibility did you put on yourself for being out there did you have a helmet on no so how much how much did you put on yourself for being out there in the street longboarding not having a helmet um you know what time of day was it it was it was midnight you know it was one of those like oh it's july 4th we're 16 years old i think we're like juniors or seniors no it must have been sophomores yeah sophomore junior yeah yeah. Yeah. And, and the lights were still rolling in the middle of the night, you know, with all the big booms and bangs. And we said, let's go for a ride. Um, and you've been on that road a hundred times before yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. We grew up on that road. Yeah. Uh, it's a very famous road in the middle of Greenwich and yeah, it does a playground there and tennis courts. It's like, you know, the nineties babies, eighties babies. We, we hung out there. What, right? What's what state? Uh, in Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. And just for anyone listening. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's gotta be a difficult moment. I would think, especially at that age to accept any responsibility. Um, yet at the same token, on some level, you have to know that it was your choice to go out there. And had you not made that choice, you wouldn't have been there for it to happen. I mean, believe me, you know, something like that happens and you, you just end up going through the whole cycle, right. Of feeling the pain and the sadness and working your, your way to anger The this is unfair. Why would this happen to me? And then the self negative loop cycle of, oh, you should have been, or you could have been, or you, you know, all the woulda, coulda, shouldas. And then when you finally collapse from the heap of just exhausting yourself from putting every knife into yourself about it, you know, you, you eventually just, you realize in the same instance, right? As you're putting those knives into yourself, you're also realizing, damn, it's going to hurt just as much to pull each one of those out. And, and that's something I, I always try and talk to people about, right? Because, you know, you could, you could, you could seriously hurt yourself just by thinking a specific way. We're all aware of the power of our thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. But what people don't understand the implication of is when you start to instigate these sorts of perceptions about the relationship you have with yourself, all of that energy needs to be transmuted, right? Yep. And if you're creating anchors in points of your being about perceptions of yourself, then the same amount of pain it took to put things there is going to be the same amount of pain it's going to take to pull it out and um it takes a lot it takes yeah, a lot. it sounds really, about right you know it's easy to slip one in but <laughs> yeah it's funny i broke my my foot and um partially tore three of the major ligaments in my uh, ankle um november 3rd or something like that last year Ooh. and um 
and I remember <laughs> afterwards, I'm like, why did I do this? I'm like sitting, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely broke my foot. And like, I don't know how much damage I had done to my ankle at that point in time. Um, and I got up and continued to, I was taking my dog to get his ears cleaned because I just couldn't do it. And it, they were getting worse. And, um, and I was like, I need a professional to do this because like, I don't want them to get like really bad infection and, um, and I just want to get it done. And so uh, trying to make the light, um, I didn't see, there was like a, a little raised section where the sidewalks go down and there's a little raised section here and I didn't see that raised section. So when I hit it just perfectly, I partially tore three of the major ligaments in, in my ankle and broke my, uh, the, the, like the tip of my fifth metatarsal, um, on the outside of my foot. And, um, I had no idea how bad it was, but I just remember sitting there after it happened. And I'm like, cars are driving by. No one's, no one's saying anything. No one's like, are you okay? Nothing. Dogs like, well, what's wrong? Come on, dad. <laughs> Come on, let's do this. And I, you know, take my shoe and sock off to look to like, oh yeah, this is 100% broken. Um, there was like a white flash in my head when it happened. And I was like, that was my bone breaking. And I was like, oh, and I, I limp over, um, to, to the, uh, to the dog place. And she's like, oh, are you okay? I was like, and I just broke my foot on the way over. She was like, oh, well, do you need anything? I was like, no, I'll just sit here until you're done. How long will it take? Well, about 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, great. And um, <laughs> do, do you need help getting? No, I'll be fine. I'll just, you know. <laughs> and and then I get home and uh, Ash is just like, what's wrong <laughs> because i'm like i'm like call the doctor <laughs> and i sit down and my ankle at this point in time is just like this big balloon and um the black and blue is starting to come up the knot on my foot is is extended even Ooh. further and um and as i sit there and try to relax to call the doctor and figure out where I go for, you know, urgent care or whatever. Um, and just sitting down to relax, the pain just floods. And, um, you know, I mean, because of where I'm at in my life, I'm able to sit there and be like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> like, because I've, you know, tripped and caught myself i've run on a million different you know whatever um and like never a problem so why this time did i decide <laughs> this would be a good time to you know put myself out of commission for four months because it's still not healed <laughs> so um but that's the difference i mean you know when you're 16 and you have something like that happen like it's a miracle you didn't like go after that guy, try to hunt him down and kill him. Like, because oh, man. <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't know at 16, I did not have a good handle on my anger. 
Um, I was, I had a high impulse control and I kept myself out of fights for the most part, um, with maybe like one exception that I can think of. Um, but man, if I had something like that happen, I don't know if I would have been able to control myself. It was a trial of patience. And believe me, you know, like it's like a, it's also a curiosity thing, right? You like you want to get a hold of that person, you want to ask them what the hell was going on through their head. Like, why the hell would you do that? Why would you be speeding? Why would you be, you know, every single why? Um, but it, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, this conversation is about like, you know, your relationship to yourself, the way mm-hmm. that you create the experience for you, right? Because yep. The gravity of the instance physically is one thing and the emotional side of it is a whole different thing. And that I feel like is what people don't understand is that like when you create that emotional attachment to something, all of your other thoughts <laughs> start swelling around that specific instance as yeah. well. Right. Um, but I, I, I was, I'm, I was totally like, like you, you know, like, I mean, I'm Brazilian, very passionate. Uh, the fire has had to gotten tamed yeah. <laughs> over time. Um, channel it yeah i guess you could say you know this is stepping in a different conversation but this is probably where a lot of moments in my life happened where i started to actually make the bigger conversations happen right Mm -hmm. like is there a god Mm -hmm. why would he let this happen to me right like start to really implore about the deeper conversations between you and yourself and uh well, let's touch that for a second, because, yeah. you know, there is a conversation about fate versus free will. And I've, I've actually talked about this before with other people. Um, there's a concept that I came across recently called item potent mm-hmm. and uh, ID, I-D-E-M-P-O-T-E-N-T. Um, and it's an 1800 word uh, mathematics, uh, mathematic word. And, you know, so the the concept of an equation that no matter how you work the equation, it has the same outcome. So, you know, you could apply it to fate. Um, Typically speaking now in the modern world, the only time that word is used is for programmers, for computer programmers, because, Mm -hmm. you know, like a shopping cart hat, you can go and search all across the website and have a million different options, look at everything, but whatever you add to the cart has to be the same no matter what. So there's certain item potent, uh, equations that have to be calculated so that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, the, the answer or the outcome is the same. And it's a fascinating concept because it's like, if you get on a plane from LA to New York, you can, um, fall in love. You can get into a fight. You can get food poisoning. You can fall asleep. You can run around, you can do, you know, depending on what kind of plane it is, you know, you could film a TV show. Um, and, but no matter what you do on that plane, you know, you're still getting off in New York. So that would also be an item potent situation. Interesting. Um, and I, I feel like life is item potent because we're born and then no matter what we do, we're going to die. <laughs> So life is really an item potent equation. And I think that's where free will and fate come into it. You are going to die. That's your fate, period. I don't care what you figure out in this life, you're going to die. And, uh, and then what you do with it is up to you. 
And there's probably, not to get overly esoteric, but there's probably a handful of things you're here to do or here to, you know, work out. And uh, the more you lean into them, the easier they're going to be. Uh, the harder you push away, the harder it's going to be just, you know, cause and effect, basic physics, thermodynamics. Yeah. Friction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, someone, oh God, okay. So if someone once told me this story and he, they said, okay, there is a guy who was buying a piece of equipment that is touch sensitive. And it's like a sound equipment and he's having problems working it with his artificial hand. Mm -hmm. And, um, so he uses his other arm, you know, he's trying to figure out whether he wants to buy this thing. And, and the guy selling it, it was like a friend of a friend years ago that I heard this story, uh, the guy selling it, um, was like, what happened? Like, ha have you never had an arm or accident? And the guy's like, well, uh, I got it bitten off. Um, he's like, I was going through life. I was partying a lot, uh, doing a lot of drugs, uh, became a heroin addict. And I just basically didn't pay attention in life and just didn't want to deal with, you know, my shit and, and figure things out. And I just kept on avoiding and avoiding, avoiding. I went surfing after shooting up and I'm out on the board and I basically am passed out and a shark came and gave me a little nibble and uh, luckily didn't like me and spit me out, but my arm was shredded and they couldn't save it. And luckily there was other surfers that were able to, you know, bring them, bring, you know, as he's telling the story, bring me in and, and they tourniquet the arm and, you know, he lived. Um, and he's like, that was my wake up call. And I'm just thinking like, wow, what wake up calls did he miss? <laughs> and, and, and how, how bad were they in comparison to losing your arm? Um, but that, and that, that's kind of part of what I was thinking. It's like, do I really need to be sitting still for this long? Like when I broke my broke my foot it's like what am i doing to need to sit still for this long uh or what would i have been doing if i didn't sit still you know and be able to run around um so it's it's kind of a a funny thing you know again free will fate um you know what track were you on what choices were you making prior to the accident that would have kept you from becoming a more mindful person into, you know, physical therapy, uh, athleticism, um, you know, the track that you're on probably is very different than the track you would have been on had you not been in the accident. So can you track the choices and how different they were prior to the accident? You know, that's, uh, I like that. That's interesting. Um, I'm gonna, so I have to jump back just a little bit, right? Because prior to me moving to Greenwich, a few things happened, but um, maybe like you may have heard or not. 
I have my family prior to the whole accident happening, we bounced around a lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot, I mean, we, we would set down for a couple of years, three years, move. Um, but, you know, being that we're from Brazil, there was a lot of like taking you and planting you somewhere and planting you here now and here we are now kind of situations growing mm-hmm. up through my development. So um, <clears throat> you could say when we had finally landed in Greenwich, that I was over it, right? I had kind of gotten this perspective of, I know how the world works. You know, as a teenager, you know everything. You know everything, there's no arguing. Um, And I had finally made a group of friends, a clique, which I had never had in my whole life, you know, up until I was like 16, 15, Mm -hmm. 16. Um, And we... So I met a group of kids still in very close contact with them. We did everything together. I mean, we skated, we biked, we went into the woods. We, we disappeared, you know, yeah. for most of the day after school, that's what we did. And uh, you could say that in that same click, we started to try new things, mm-hmm. um, some different sorts of substances mm-hmm. in particular to the region that we were in. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of where, you know, I think a lot of my mentality turned because, you know, from my disposition, it was, I'm an immigrant. My family's an immigrant. We come from a third world country. And now here we are in Greenwich, Connecticut like one of the wealthiest places in all of America. Yeah. Among some pretty well-off children that have never had to understand the heartache of having not or having nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Having to, having to work for everything. Yeah. You know, Um, struggle or, you know, to work to survive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I had to adapt to the English language and the Brazilian language, the the port- Bra- the Brazilian language, like a few different times. And parents did a pretty well job of it, but it 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 kind of really creates a mental barrier between um, allowing for open communication because when you're kind of taken from place to place to place like that, you all of a sudden start to create this perspective of I have to arm myself and I have to look out for every single thing that I do. I have to be very well composed. I have to mm-hmm. not stand out, you know, in front of people. I don't, I, I, I can't bring attention to me. You kind of start to create this like mask, right? So you can just slip into the, the crowd sort of mm-hmm. situation. And um, I guess that's when I started to rebel. I finally landed in a place where a lot of kids had a lot of things to do and a lot of money to spend on things that weren't really great for teenagers. <laughs> and um kind of went down that hole a little bit you know but it was also one of the most revealing times in my life because you know as you start to play around with these i'm just going to call them substances again sure um whether it be of the marijuana variety or the psychedelic kind or you know the other terrible three in my head um you start to realize these little subtle changes, not only about yourself, but what the people that you're encompassed in, right? Mm-hmm. You start to see these behavioral changes. And um, and then the whole, a whole different narrative starts, right? Because you stop paying attention to what your heart is saying and you start listening to only what your mind is saying. And then it's all reaction, right? Like your parents say something to you, you can't do this. Oh yeah, well, 
excuse me, you know, bye. Um, whatever it may be. And uh, I think right around there was probably around the time where, you know, the, the forces of the universe were like, you were meant for something greater. So take this hint. So after the accident, you've got three months of recovery. You're, you're blown back into your body in a way where you're like, oh, I was somewhere else. This is something else. There's a whole nother level to reality that you had not experienced prior to the accident, regardless of substances and, and other activities. And you're now looking at your friends differently, I'm guessing. Definitely a little differently. Differently in the sense of <clears throat> not so much like the differences that are observable in the 3D and the physical, right? Mm -hmm. It was, we all have our own journeys, our own experiences that set us apart from how we are able to perceive the journey in the first place. Yeah. And mine was just hinted at the moment that car hit me, time disappeared. Mm -hmm. There was absolute darkness with one pinnacle point of just bright light up at, up in the far distance and there was a growing hum and <clears throat> i felt my body sort of get pulled and drawn to the hum like the hum was carrying me to mm -hmm. that light and as soon as i got close enough it was i heard this voice where it was just it's not your time and back into my body and you know, it's very, it's, I, wow. I'm like starting to go through it in my head now. I haven't replayed really this in a while, but it's very, um, it's very disorienting, right? Because there you are having this higher experience, this out-of-body experience. And then all of a sudden it's like red and blue lights and being cascaded into an ambulance and people strapping you down and all this like beeping and booping and people measuring your blood and blah, 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 right? Um, yeah, no, that's, you know, that's, that's when I knew for sure it was, I'm not, I'm not meant to be here. Basically I was, that was the beginning of the journey. Right. So it was like, I was following this mantra after that, where it was just like, these people are just people. They are just reflections of yourself. The journey is much bigger than the now. And you have to go searching after whatever it is your heart is called to do. Um, little did I know, and I had no experience doing what I was looking for, but, um, you know, moving to Colorado after 2007, 2008, uh, was like the remnants of this great inertia to get moving per se, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because part of what it sounds like you were also trying to do prior to um, prior to the accident, you know, with your family always constantly on the go and not being settled, it sounds like part of you was trying to find some stability and find, you know, uh, a grounding. And then after the accident, you are still looking, um, instead of looking for grounding, you were looking for, well, you were looking for grounding through movement afterwards. Does that track? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Um, now, how did, how did it affect your choices with your friends as far as, as, as substances and hanging out and, you know, random jaunts, you know, on your board or 
uh, you know, disappearing for hours or days with your buddies, like how did, right. did you still do that for a minute or was it after the three months you were able to do stuff, you completely made the shift? Right. Um, I would, I would definitely say that in that time. So I was very fortunate. I'm going to say I'm very fortunate in retrospect now because the house I lived in, I had like the whole basement to myself. Oh, wow. And, um, so I literally just cue in like Indian flute music and I'd bust out my sacred geometry book and I would literally just take a pencil to the walls and start doing like whatever lunar cycles, tracking them, sacred geometry, flower of life, all this. Looking at patterns and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I became very independent in the sense of I, I felt like my friends had their own journeys and mm. I needed to learn from my experience. And the only way to do that was to shut out the outside world, you know? So uh, I'm not going to say I didn't hang out with my friends, but after I started to feel good enough to be able to walk around, I basically mm. got a couple jobs being a server and working at a, at a deli. And I worked, I worked all day. I literally just moved into a new space where I didn't know anybody where I could just focus on me where I could, cause I, I already had made the mental shift, right? I needed to get out of Greenwich. That yeah. was the, that was it. You know? So you needed to make the money to get, get out. And you knew that you probably had a couple of years left with your, your family and school and everything else. And then it's like, okay, moving on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely the turn. That was definitely the turning point. You know, I, I definitely kept in contact with them. I definitely still hung out with them, just not to the level and the degree yeah. that I used. The relationship to. changed. Your there's a there's a need for companionship. We're humans, you know. We need our our people, our community. Um, but what we need from them, obviously, will change over time, depending on age, depending on family, depending on all kinds of things. Um, so what were some of the coping mechanisms then through that time? Was it mostly avoidance and just focusing on work or was it mostly, you know, education? Like what was the coping mechanisms to keep you focused on work and to hit your goals or achieve your goals? Uh, it's funny you say that because, um, you know, the instance of the car, I feel like was just the beginning of a sequence of events that unraveled. Like you have to get rid of something to be able to put something new in its place. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so destruction is an, is an inextricable reality uh, or, or um, whatever of creation. You know, you yeah. have to destroy something to create something. Right. Right. Um, so in that time where I barricaded myself in my own space, I pretty much went heavy, heavy into, all right, I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> I went into, into astrology. I went into um, the meridians of the body. I went into um, anything cosmological that made sense that I could make a connection to. Um, I got into drawing. I got into art, um, just really putting out every bit of my essence into onto paper. Um, I, I started reading as much of every sort of sacred ge geometry book I possibly had. I learned about chakras, the connections between each individual one, right? And um, the reason I say 
you have to destroy everything right before you can replace it with something new is while I went through that, that was probably the last, like the most difficult, last difficult hurdle I had to jump, which was <clears throat> like, and before I say this, like, I, I love my dad's death. He's not a terrible human. He's an amazing man. He's always done his best to take care of his family. But we, we grew up as a Christian Catholic mm-hmm. family and in the Brazilian world, like it's either a hard yes or you're a hard no. Right. <clears throat> and I remember one day approaching my father and sitting him down because, um, how old were you roughly? Uh, 16, 17. Right? So after the accident within a year. Yeah. Within a year. I mean, I spent months in that basement, man. Yeah. Months. Um, I sat him down and I was like, <clears throat> look, man, I'm learning about all of this. You've never told me about any of this. <laughs> look at this packet, right? I literally like would go to the library and spend all day printing paper as much as I could. Cause back then it was kind of free Yeah, <laughs> and just taking it home and like building a case to bring to my father, because ultimately this was a battle of beliefs now, right? Like between me and him, because he went through a divorce. He had his own thing going on. And like where I lived with him then was the, the post-divorce situation. So, you know, I found him. Divorce from your mom or from another woman? From my mom. From your mom. Okay. Yeah. Um, he spent a lot of time, like he spent a lot of time on a couch with a Bible after Mm. that, you know? Mm. And so while I was in my basement, he was upstairs on the couch after working. Um, and yeah, so I approached him one day and I was like, look, look at all, look at all of this, man. Like, where is all of this in your life? And he goes, well, what is this? And I'm like, well, do you know about chakras? It's like, do you know about any of this energetics? And he's like, you really believe in that? And I was like, I mean, it, it's on paper. Like <laughs> you, you, you look at that Bible every day, right? You, you believe in that, right? Like your, your wife left you and you believe in that, right? Like, so we had this back and forth of like, <laughs> he's like, this Jesus is the only way. And I'm like, but okay, I accept you for that. And I don't hold it against you. But what about this other world of things? Isn't it beautiful? Because I just saw him in such a dismantled, such a dismantled man that I wanted to mm-hmm. like share a bit of revitalization, maybe a bit of a fascination into something else beyond him right that's unexplainable just like the stories he's reading i mean but slightly to a more eastern degree you know perspective and um it just it never worked never worked and uh so that was kind of like the the last like lights out for me right like i have no one overseeing me it didn't feel like i had connection to anybody in my family Um, that was like the last wound that I said, okay, that's enough. If I don't have anything here with you, if I don't have a connection here with you, then I have nothing stopping me from moving forward because everything I've gone through in this last year has showed me that I just need to learn for myself and I need to go gather more experience and I need to initialize this sequence so that I can create something for myself from myself. Right. So you Um, knew that you were 
at that point in time, trying to create the reality that you uh, wanted to live in. And you knew, so that's interesting. I mean, what would have happened if he had gone down the rabbit hole or, With me, uh, right? I mean, it would have completely changed every decision you made, you know, moving forward. Maybe you wouldn't have gone to Colorado. Yeah. I don't know, but every single thing that happened to me after legit felt like the biggest synchronization in my life. Yeah. Like oddest little things. Like I, I got on a bus one day. I remember it was like this woo woo limbo period before leaving and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there on the bus and I was like, I hate taking the bus, but there are all these amazing people here. And the bus pulls over. And the moment I'm thinking that this big, beautiful black woman steps onto the bus and she's got this bright neon bag that says Colorado sunshine, new beginnings. And I was like, Oh, wow. This is it? is it you know like a sign the literal sign you've been looking for a sign yeah so the heavens have been uh, delivered yeah. that's amazing yeah 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 it's yeah. funny when you know something to be the right choice for you there really isn't a question like whether you know it's family or friends or just personal or even just something as simple as like, oh, I want pizza. Like, you know, you just know, you're like, that's where I'm at. <laughs> it's pizza time. Yeah. It's Colorado time. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting. The, the um, decision-making process or our instinctual process, I do believe is, is conditioned and learned. And so you can retrain yourself to, you know, recalibrate, you know, whenever you want. However, um, most of our calibration comes from our parents and comes from the world where we are surrounded, you know, by whether we want to or not. And then it's a matter of, um, making the choice to change that. Like, you know, you chose a completely different set of surroundings in order to, you know, give yourself a new, uh, instinctual paradigm. And, you know, and then out of that, you were able to, you know, find yourself in Colorado. It's really interesting, you know, like you, you take, you take a moment to observe your surroundings and you realize these little subtle things that attach you to where you're at and you start to, you know, put value in things outside of yourself in ways that you don't realize the impact you're creating on yourself until you're looking way back in retrospect, right? And even as I'm talking about this now, I'm realizing, man, like how interesting our journeys are because just like my father, I mean, he was 25 when he left Brazil back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, he left his whole family behind. And he came to America with a piece of paper with an address. And that was it. Like, he was like, I'm going to New York. Someone gave me an address. He, fuck, he gets there, doesn't know anybody, knocks on this door. And there's like 13 other dudes living in this one space in New York City. God, geez. And that's how he started. You know, that's how he started his life. Was your mom Brazilian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but they yeah. met here in in uh, in America. No, in Brazil. So, oh. yeah. So he he basically worked a couple years and made such great money that he like went back to Brazil to be like, <laughs> look at all this, you know. And uh, met my mom, and he was like, look, this is uh, this is where I'm at. You're either coming with or you can stay here and marry that guy. I guess whoever you're with. And my mom chose him. You know. Wow. And that's something they yeah they ended up here. That's interesting. Right. So do you find, you know, this is not something I've talked a lot about with other people, but do you find, you know, they, uh, they say the sins of the father, you know, past the son, what I really think that's about is, you know, there's certain things that we absorb from our parents and we become um, naturally good at um, because it's what we see the most and it's what we practice in our minds the most, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. And so do you see that you have become, or at what point did you see that you became your father to some extent? And how have you been able to, you know, master that and use that to your advantage? All right. All right. Um, to be very honest, so I'm 33 mm -hmm. and I don't think it was until I turned 30, 31, that it really, be, it really hit me, right? Because at 31, I had already had both my children. I had a house down in Austin that we bought. Mm -hmm. um, I had gone through several hardships with children, right? So I had mm -hmm. a lot of retrospect and reflecting, reflection from my own experiences when I was a child with my father who had taken us through everything that we needed to go through. Mm -hmm. and uh you know that was, that was that was actually kind of one of the bigger points of my last uh, episode that i made it was that you know my dad the experience was my dad called me about selling a house in brazil and i wasn't ready to hear that let alone let that happen and it turned into a bigger conversation of hey man you know I know you did everything you needed to do because you felt like you needed to do it because you wanted to give your children everything you didn't have when you were a kid because he was one of 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. Big Catholic family. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I hit him up one day out of the blue and I was like, look, man, I don't need you to say anything. I just need you to hear me out. I've grown to this point in my life with children. I've made it through all this stuff. I made the decision to leave home. I know it's been rather difficult, but I needed to do it because I foresaw a lot of negative things happening. If I didn't leave the house with the relationships and the family and all that, we didn't see eye to eye. Mm -hmm. And I told him, you know, I, I, I forgive you. I, I honestly forgive you for, you know, doing what you felt was right. And for me holding that against you and it turned into a conversation of him being like you know sharing a moment where he was like you know i remember this one time you came to me because you wanted to go paintballing with your friends and i turned you down and i'll never forget your face and i'll never forget how i felt because i told you we had no money and what you didn't know was that i had thousands stashed away to be able to purchase a home here to mm. give to you guys. And he looks back on that 15 years later 
still haunts him because he could have just allowed me that moment, right? 40 bucks or whatever it would have been. Yeah. You know, and you know, so we, we cherished that we, we had a good cry together, but all that's to say is, you know, I didn't really experience that until COVID happened where we had to pivot from being pain management specialists and building our business for 10 years and having to re-quantify our lives mm-hmm. where I spent almost, you know, eight months in a chair, hours a day like this, you know, staring through a hole, not really paying attention to my peripherals. I mean, I, I let myself down in the process, yeah. right? So it was a it was a great coming to when I found myself looking in the mirror and not recognizing myself and realizing that's the death. That's the other death that I never experienced in my waking adult life. And being able to put value on present moments on yourself. I mean, you are the center of the world. You know, I don't mean to say that in a way of like people who make themselves the center of the world crave attention all the time, but in the way you impact the world around you, you are the center because your actions, your ideas, your perceptions about yourself reverberate to everything else in your external environment, including the people that you love most. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was kind of like this dovetail of the history between my family and I, the history of what I was going through with my family, trying to create something new, something better, give my children what I never had, Mm -hmm. just playing out over and over and over. Right. And uh, yeah, I spent, I spent a good three months in therapy and it did real good. That's great. And And that was during COVID um, to deal with the integration of um, kind of re reliving the actions of your father in your own life and your own family. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, like in, in anyone's eyes, right? Like, (laughs) <laughs> I moved away from home because I had a great example of what I didn't want to be yeah. like, which is common. I think most people like, I don't want to be like this. And so they go over here. Right. But it became this self-fulfilling thought, self-fulfilling prophecy of me doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. Which was kind of the, the big turnaround because it was the exercise of her telling me, Hey, right your biography. And when she read that, when she read back that document to me, Mm -hmm. realizing like my narrative wasn't, it wasn't even about me. It was about everybody else except for me. I never acknowledged myself. I never gave myself the pots. I never gave myself the love I needed. Or maybe, you know, I'm sure I did, but not to the degree that would make a profound impact in my life and the way I observe myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very clarifying, you know, how you create those stories and how they hold you back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just a human condition. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think we are able to steer away from it because no one it's just not part of the educational system. It's not part of the cultural system to say, look, you're going to rebel. Um, and in rebelling, you're going to become what you are trying to rebel from. And 
the I don't think it has to happen. I don't think it needs to happen, but it's it's the cycle of the Western world. And um, you know, the Eastern world is predominantly one of, you know, how do we strengthen the family? How do we strengthen the community? You know, and you put the community and the family above individuality. The Western world is all about individuality. And, you know, in my opinion, like everything else I look at in the world, there needs to be a, um, a coming together, a synchronization, a, a um, integration is the word um, of everything. You know, I don't think that any political system or any um, power system works on its own. We need all of them. We need dictatorships. We need democracies. We need socialism. We need communism. We need all of it. We need it all to work together. And when it works together properly in its place, you have every, every possible person, personality, need taken care of. It's when you limit things to, no, no, we're just capitalists. No, no, we're just uh, dictatorship. That's where people um, get hurt because, you know, if you are 86 years old and struggling to survive, then you need socialism. You know, if you're a child and you were, you know, uh, a bratty little two-year-old as all two-year-olds are, um, you need communism. You need, you know, some, you know, Hey, this is all ours. We share, you know, this is, this is how we do this. Um, you know, if you're a 20 something, uh, brash person who wants to conquer the world, male or female, uh, or anything in between, then you need capitalism. <laughs> so like we need all of these things. And for some reason or another, we don't acknowledge any of that. So we get stuck in whatever patterns, you know, that we are, you know, playing within the culture, you know, culture trickles down. And, um, and so, you know, media and everything else says, hey, you've got to rebel and be your own person. By the way, you're going to become your, your parents, but <laughs> let's not focus on that. <laughs> um yeah yeah there's and i'm curious if you see it with your kids um because they're starting to get of that age where they can start really you know begin to making you know understand choices and so forth um are you able to help them lean into uh you and your wife's behaviors that they are naturally you know riding in um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, mm. right? Um, because in one instance, we are, you know, we are pretty programmed. And so in a way, the, the only thing we can do is continue to program. Yeah. In the same, Wait, is that part of the reason why you became a programmer? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, to be honest, it was, okay. uh, it was more just to be able to work at home, be around more family. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the on the other hand, you know, you really want to be able to give them the freedom to make their own choices, to understand their own behaviors and the impact of their own behaviors on themselves. But that that comes with time, 
um, the most that we can do is value what they put their attention into mm. and create these sort of frameworks and guidelines for them to approach um, through a sort of kind of learn play environment, right? Which is why the whole COVID situation was so destructive in a way mm. um, was because, you know, my son right around three, three and a half is when all that happened, you know? So he wasn't exactly like part of the whole, like, getting socialized i mean we were out and about a lot um and then my daughter i mean she was a covid baby right like masks everywhere she doesn't she she just now sees people without a mask mm. um but all we can do is give them the container to be themselves authentically right like i look at my son all the time and this is part of why we left texas but you know, I'm like, if you want to paint your nails, go ahead, bro. You want to wear a Darth Vader dress? Go ahead, bro. You want to, you know, put on makeup today? Go ahead, bro. Sky's the limits. Because when I was a kid, I was so, so sheltered. I mean, if I were an article of black clothing, my mom and dad used to tell me to take it off and go put something else because it was satanic, you know? Yeah, right. And then I started listening to freaking metal and it was satanic and the, God, the moment I wanted my first piercing have mercy. Right. Um, so in that sense, you know, we're trying to just allow them to be liberals in their own, in the safety of our own homes. And, yeah. You know, but we can't like Catherine and I, we're, we're also still growing, right? Like part of the reason I'm here today. And part of the reason I started my own podcast is because for the first time in my life, I've had this ongoing conversation with myself, but for the first time in my life, I'm grasping at that wand of understanding, trying to utilize the instrument for what it's made for, which mm -hmm. only happens, only adapts and only translates or, or transforms through conversation, through this sort of socialization, right? Like we have to be able to parallel our ideas and perceptions about the way we perceive our external environment to be able to get a validation of the sorts of facets that do exist because you know like for my kid it's really difficult right now we just landed here in colorado and we were already thinking about leaving because and i know it would probably be the same in a lot of places but the bullying the bullying has been really difficult. I mean, he's mm -hmm. only been in school for a couple months, three mm -hmm. months. And up until then, he had only been to daycare. But, you know, kids have opinions now, well-established oh, yeah. ones, right? And so we're kind of trying to litigate through uh, empowering him here at home as much as we can and telling him, like, you should not have to take yourself down here to make yourself more appealing to people that, feel like they're up here you know and just that constant gratification for who he is gratification for everything he does and and just empowering him through anything any of the avenue he possibly has right um is more than i ever had yeah in that sense energetically right so i think it comes down to like what sort of container you give somebody yeah right if you give There's them no container then they're just going to be a puddle on the ground but if you <laughs> you know, give, give them a, uh, super rigid container, then they're going to want to break out of it as soon as they possibly can. Yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. so there's, you know, there was a study done, I think it was, would have been back in the eighties, early nineties, um, on children, if like children run around when they're like, you know, a year old, two years old, three years old, they want to take off their clothes. You know, if it's warm, they just, you know, and somehow or another, I can't remember how the study was done. And, and this was so long ago that uh, I heard about it. Um, Cause I think I was maybe in high school at the time. And um, so, you know, I would have heard about it in, in the early to mid nineties. And basically the more you try to keep a child to keep their clothes on uh, as a child, the more likely they are to take them off when they get older and to be exhibitionists and, um, and so forth. And it was, it was an interesting thing. Uh, you know, I'm remembering this from over 20 years ago, so I have no idea, you know, um, who did the study this I was growing up in the DC metro area around a lot of very intelligent people highly educated people um and so you know it was it was an interesting thing but it made me and this is part of the reason why I'm doing the podcast because it made me want to know where are people coming from why do they make the choices they make can, can they uh are they conscious of why they're making the choices they make and so far Almost every single person that I've talked to uh, on the show has a pretty good level of self-awareness to understand why they made the choices they made from a certain point and or, you know, a a good idea from earlier points. Um, And it's, it's, it's fascinating because to some degree, you know, that story about taking your clothes off holds true. I've never seen it proved wrong. Um, And it's just a variation of, you know, how you live your life. Are you going to lean into your trauma and play that out? Or are you going to lean away from it and play that out? And most of the things, because I've worked with a lot of kids over the years, you know, from teaching swimming, martial arts, movement, body language, uh, meditation, all this different things over the years. Um, and a lot of work with at-risk youth. And, you know, the one thing that kind of seems to be the truth um, from what I've seen is uh, kids are going to end up, quote unquote, messed up, you know, according to the, you know, the common parameters of what messed up is, no matter what the parents do, no matter how much they're loved, because someone somewhere is going to say something, the kid is going to hear it, and they're going to take that as gospel. They're going to take it as like, oh, this is what I need to do, or this is who I am. And it's going to resonate with them for some reason, in some way. And maybe it's going to come from you. Maybe it's going to come from some random person, but it's going to change the way they make decisions. Like, I remember when I heard certain things about, you know, body awareness and, and, uh, just like tilting of the pelvic, um, you know, floor and how you point your tailbone. And I misunderstood the way it was told. And so I continued to try to do and, and hold my body in a certain way. I ended up with lower back problems and three discs out of place because I was putting too much pressure. And 
because I have that obsessive drive in me, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to be perfect and I wanted to have, and I, you know, I didn't, I took the people training as experts. So I didn't question them uh, on this thing. And I didn't understand that the way you pelt your, you, you should be fluid in your tilting of your, of your tailbone. And yes, it should go under you for some, some things. And yes, it should be extended for other things. Um, but you need to have a fluid, um, you know, movement, you know, in all angles and all directions. And work to maintain that fluidity uh otherwise you're going to have an issue regardless yeah and so um but there's just something stupid someone said that i thought they were an expert and i wanted to be perfect because i'd been doing martial arts my entire life you know got into dance started teaching dance and like i was super active super athletic and so i wanted to be perfect and ended up you know causing myself major pain for years to come. (laughs) So, you know, and I've just seen it. I've seen it with myself. I've experienced it. I've seen it with other people. Um, There's no way around it, but I also think those are the real blessings, you know, because we, you know, we obsess about on some level, you know, even if you're not a, a, you know, obsessive person like myself, we all obsess about certain things that are going to um, make us really great at something. And I feel like, and I don't have kids, so I'm, and I'm not, so I'm not preaching to how you, how to raise your kids in any way, shape or form. So I, I don't think you're taking it that way, but I want to just make that clear. Um, of course. You know, the, because it doesn't matter, you know, in my, you know, from, from my standpoint, it doesn't matter what we do as long as you just love them unconditionally, it just doesn't matter. And as long as we get love unconditionally, we will find our right path. We will find the container we want to break. We will put ourselves in it (laughs) and then we will break it. Um, And, you know, it's just whatever we need to go through. And some people, um, you know, are given enough love and enough, enough permission, which it sounds like you're doing with your kids, which is fucking amazing. But like, imagine saying, okay, what container do you want to put yourself in? And what container do you want to break out of? (laughs) And, and when do you want to do it? Because, you know, you get to choose when you do all of that and how you do all of that. And it can take you 30 years. It can take you 50 years. It can take you 80 years, or it can take you two years, whatever you want to do. And, you know, obviously for children, there's a whole maturation of just brain, what our brains are capable of, you know, you're not capable of making decisions right or wrong fully, uh, and effectively until you're 24, 25, 26, but there's, um, but yeah, it's still just, you know, you humans, man, we just need our community, you know, to thrive. Yeah, <laughs> and we need our community to take care of us in a way that, you know, it's safe to be hurt and it's safe to heal. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's my, no. that's my long-winded ra- rant. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's absolutely amazing because it's true. 
you know, I think a lot of, a lot of the unconditional acceptance that should be an integral part of the way we create decisions based on like future motives uh, needs to be, needs to be addressed um, there. I mean, the world is so, so vast, right? Like we have this huge, huge population. And then in that population, we have groups of people and, you know, and in the way it all breaks down to the individual, I have never felt and been more mortified at the way things are going because we are just conditionally segregating ourselves. Right. I don't know if social, I'm sure social media has its place. Uh, the technologies, right. Yeah. Uh, the incentives to use it. Um, how it's used obviously everyone has their own free will mm -hmm. but i just have not seen this sort of conversation play out anywhere else and so i really appreciate you holding the space and allowing me to be here um but you know it's it's like when we broke our feet or your foot my ankle right in yeah. those moments of being sedated in a way where you're forced to rationalize with yourself that I think people need to be heard the most because all of that time, it was me in my room to myself, just spoon feeding myself perspective about how I felt and what I thought was right. And not that it didn't aid to me making changes, but I feel like if people could have heard my perspective about the way I was integrating from this experience, then maybe we could all be maybe not so much on like an evil, even playing field, but we could have more of a sense of what it means to be generous. Right. Like, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's wholesomely what's missing. And that's what hurts us in the end. Right. Like the whole conversation between me and my father was just the fact that he didn't give me something when he could have. Mm -hmm. And it's not even about the money. It's about the experience. Yep. Right. Like I grew up, in a way fatherless because he was out working his butt off to take care of me. I would have, I would have probably been happier. Maybe happy is a spectrum for some people, but I would have been happier living in a freaking box. If I knew I had my dad with me. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah. Happiness is one of those complicated words and complicated ideas that I think is misunderstood more often than not. There's uh, and the older I get, the, um, a friend of mine, uh, you know, I hadn't, um, we hadn't gotten real FaceTime like this in years and didn't even really think about it or realize it until we sat down to do an episode. And, um, it's, it was the most FaceTime we've had with each other in just years. And, um, he said, you know, he's got three kids now. And he said, the, the number one thing isn't happiness, it's contentment and just being content and, and finding just that the joy in the contentment with everything is working the way it needs to be working because happiness is like a high and, um, and contentment is just riding in that zone. And it's funny because I kind of came to the same conclusion, but for very different reasons, um, essentially, um, you know, I've had so many highs and so many lows 
And I know that I wouldn't have had the lows without the highs. And I know I wouldn't have had the highs without the lows. And I would really appreciate just to get rid of all the highs and the lows <laughs> and just ride right in the middle and be, you know, here. And like, um, I know I'll have some peaks, but it's like, ah, oh, it's finally working. Like, okay, now I can settle back into, you know, into the, into the groove. Um, but it's funny, as you were saying all that, that one of the things that I'm like, okay, you know, maybe the biggest lesson from breaking my foot and, and mess, mangling my ankle is that because it's all coincided with starting the podcast and um, this new venture, um, I just got back from Hawaii, just got engaged and um, new life new career path, new everything. I want to refocus, get back to some of the basics, which is, you know, business consulting and kind of working with people one-on-one. -on -one. I want to get some of these books um, written and out. And I want to um, really focus my life around um, helping people. Even the acting has always been about, you know, showing people something that they weren't, you know, otherwise going to think or see or feel. Um, and even though there was a selfish element to it, it was always for the audience. It's always to make the audience feel something. And so I want to get back to all of that. And I want to really focus on all that. And now in, in talking to you, it's like the contextualization of my broken foot and ankle and it taking four months and I'm still not healed is it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take. <laughs> Just be patient and stay the course, do what you got to do, listen to people. If you don't trust them, find the right people. Um, because that's how I've, <laughs> that's, that's why it's still not healed yet. Because the, the, the first person I heard, the second person said, no, 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 you're fine. Six weeks later, no healing whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah, you got to find the right people to work with and you got to find the right path. And, um, and when you find the right path, you got to stay on it and it just takes time. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely love it. Any closing thoughts? I feel like we're at a perfect wrapping up place, you know, with what you're saying and, and, you know, what's the, what's the last thought that comes to your mind with all the, you know, the last 30 minutes of conversation. Right. I feel like I have, I feel like I have a vision and it seems to, it seems to dilate and oscillate from this perspective of uh, goals and commitment, right? Because ultimately you, you set yourself up for the future by sewing these ideas into place about the sort of place you want to be in the people you want to have around you <clears throat> you know all these relationships with things you want in your life um but the most important thing is to never forget you know goals they will always change but commitment is where you're working from and yeah. until you're able to get to the core of what you value, what your principles are, the foundation where your roots have been stemmed from. Um, I think 
I think that's something to constantly be reevaluating or picking apart until you do, because until then you don't really have your best foot forward and you could ask or demand from the universe as many things as you like, and it will never be as fulfilling as it should be. Yeah. Nope. Awesome. I think it's a great way to end. Um, Stick with me for just a second. And thank you. Thank you so much for being here. This is, this is great. Don't forget to leave a comment or review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. New episodes every Tuesday. And for short clips from each episode, check out YouTube. Thank you. And don't forget your life story is yours to write and rewrite as many times as you want.